All right, so here we are once again, uh, moving towards the end of our series. We're already at uh, Exodus for Beginners. This is lesson number 11 out of 13 total. And the title of this lesson is The Covenant Between God and Israel. God Gives Moses the Plans for the Tabernacle, part one. And if you're following along in your Bibles, that'll be Exodus chapter 25. So far in the book of Exodus, uh, Moses has described uh, the following. Uh, Israel's release from Egyptian bondage made possible by the miraculous hand of God. The covenant that God has made with Israel that includes the blessings promised by God and the law and ordinances that the people are to obey as their part of the covenant. We've also seen the ratification of this covenant as Moses and other leaders have met with God on Mount Sinai to confirm the covenant or promise, if you wish, or a mutual agreement of the following, that God has chosen the Israelites to be his special people selected to carry out his plan to bless the world with salvation and his people uh, enjoy both um, earthly blessings such as uh, health and safety and prosperity and spiritual blessings that they would know and serve the only true God who would dwell among them. In return for these blessings, they would live holy, or if another word for holy, separate lives as God's people defined by the law, the 10 commandments, and the book of the covenant, which uh, contained ordinances and observances that defined the law and helped define its application in daily living, as well as one's worship to God. Uh, this covenant relationship was to be the basis upon which Jewish life was to be lived. The covenant molded the Israelites into a unique mindset and style of living, unlike any other nation uh, around them at that time and for centuries forward until they brought forth the promised Messiah. Easy to say all of that because we're looking backwards, you know, we're looking back at how these things developed. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, they were made aware that they were going to be a special people for a special purpose. Now, until this point, God has appeared and has manifested himself through what we call theophanies. Um, a dark cloud, for example, or a column of fire or lightning, thunder, a voice. And most of these uh, connected to Mount Sinai. So long as the people were camped there, this is where God would interact with the leaders and with the people. The Israelites, however, would not remain there for long and would soon depart. And so God would provide them with another place to meet with him, not only a place to meet, but also a place to offer worship, which was, by the way, part of the covenant, as well as a place to offer various types of praise and prayer, and in his foreknowledge, also a place where sins, meaning failure to keep the terms of the covenant by the people, 
where sins could be atoned for and forgiven by a merciful God. This new place to meet would be movable, transportable, in order to meet the needs of a people who would spend many years wandering from place to place in the wilderness. And so in chapter 25 of Exodus, we find Moses again on Mount Sinai with God, who will give him instructions necessary to put together what was called the tent of meeting or tabernacle, which would become the physical center of the Israelite camp, as well as the spiritual center of their religious life as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so we begin reading in chapter 25, beginning in verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell the sons of Israel to raise a contribution for me. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall raise my contribution. This is the contribution which you are to raise from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet material, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins dyed red, porpoise skins, acacia wood, oil for lighting, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and for the breastplate. So God begins by telling Moses to organize a special collection among the people. It would be a free will offering. In other words, it wasn't a tithe or a tax or an obligation of any kind. It was to be a contribution based only on each person's love and gratitude and respect for God. The offering was to be made up of valuable gifts. It asked that people offer the best of what they had. For example, maybe the only gold one had was a treasured ring from a deceased parent. Uh, well, that, if that's the only gold you had, then that was the gold that you, that you were offering. The offering, in other words, cost you something, whether you were rich uh, or poor. There was a, to be an element of sacrifice in uh, what you gave. The valuable things were to be used for practical purposes. They were not to be used to make a work of art or magnificent robes for Moses and the 70 elders. The gold was to cover a box, the ark, or poles to carry the box or candlesticks. In other words, practical things. In chapter, uh, not in chapter, but in verses eight and nine, we continue reading, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them according to all that I am going to show you as the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furniture, just so you shall construct it. Remember I said to you before, at that time, the thought was that uh, the gods that you had lived where you lived. And if you went somewhere else, then you had to, you know, there were other gods there that you had to know about and appease. And God was, teaching the people that uh, he was with them. No matter where they were, he was there. They didn't have to change gods. He, he was the only God and he would always be with them. And so far, you know, he's been on the mountain. 
but they're not always going to stay in front of that mountain. And so now he's explaining the way that he will remain with them will be uh, his presence in this, uh, uh, in this tent of meeting, in this, uh, in this tabernacle, which was to be made of uh, precious, uh, precious elements. Uh, so it's in these verses that God summarizes the purpose for the collection of these various items. First, God wants them to build a sanctuary or a holy place where he will dwell among his chosen people. Obviously, God does not live or reside in any structure made by man, just as he does not live at the top of a mountain, Mount Sinai or any other mountain. However, he meets with man as he had done with Adam and Abraham and Jacob and now Moses. Because of their covenant relationship, God promises to be present in a particular place in order to interact with his people, his chosen people, and that would be the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. His omnipresent nature enables him to make this promise, but not to be limited by it either. Also in the final verse, he tells Moses that he will personally instruct him as the pattern or the plan of the tabernacle itself, as well as its furnishings. So this is not to be a, a, you know, an, a thing, an object uh, that Moses will create and Moses will do his best to, to construct. Uh, no, God will give him the plans and the details of this uh, tabernacle. Now various scholars suggest that God either gave Moses a vision of the completed work or a plan or a written instructions which, uh, which he wrote down. My own thought is that God provided both a vision and written plan for Moses to use with the workmen in building the tent and its uh, furnishings. Now, we don't have time to read and examine each object as well as its significance too deeply in this uh, short introductory study that we're having, these 13 lessons on Exodus. But we can review the list of items that God instructed Moses to make in, order, in the order that they were given. God began his instructions for building the entire tabernacle by describing the furniture which was to be placed inside the tent. He begins by describing that which was most holy and located in the most holy place uh, within the tent. And that would, that would be the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. And then, uh, so he described this first, it's the first thing he describes, and then he works his way outward. He moves outward to the furnishings of the holy place, the other room in the tent, and then followed by the requirements for the, the tent itself, and then the objects outside the tent in the, uh, in the, in the tabernacle uh, 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 complex, if you wish. So here's a list uh, in the order that it was given. So as I say, uh, the first is the Ark of the Covenant in Exodus 25. The Ark, or chest 
was a box, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. It was made of acacia wood. Some people say, what kind of wood is that? A mimosa tree or a thorn tree? Um, it was uh, deep brown in color, this type of wood. It was hard, it was water resistant. It was used mainly for furniture. For example, a table, if you had a dining room table, you know, that's, that's the kind of wood that you would use for that. This box or chest was covered with gold. It had uh, gold rings on either side so that uh, a gold covered poles also made of axial wood were permanently slipped into the loops or the rings for the purpose of transporting the ark. This would allow carrying this uh, piece of furniture, if you wish, without touching it, uh, without touching the ark. You simply took the poles, lifted it up and carried it from place to place. Now on top of the ark, serving as a lid was what, what was referred to as the mercy seat. This term in the Hebrew simply meant covering. The word had a, a double meaning. First, the covering or the lid for the ark itself. And second, the covering of Israel's sins when the blood of the sacrifice was sprinkled on the ark's covering on the day of atonement. Later on, God would give the Jews this holy day and observ uh, observance to keep each year uh, uh, called in English, uh, the day of atonement. In Hebrew, Yom Kippur, uh, and the meaning of it was the day of covering, the day of covering. And of course, uh, God was covering the sins of the people with the blood of the sacrifice, the animal, uh, and uh, uh, the sins you know, were being covered symbolically. And so the lid or covering also had two angels facing each other and looking down at the mercy seat or the lid. They were to be made of gold and fashioned as a single piece. Their wings were spread upward and covered the mercy seat. Verse 22 explains the reason for the ark's special place in the inner room of the tabernacle. Verse 22, it says, there I will meet with you and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will give you in commandment for the sons of Israel. So God's earthly throne was to be above the golden angels, which sat upon the seat or the lid of the ark of the covenant, which at first, contained the stone tablets with the uh, 10 commandments inscribed by God himself, and also a jar of manna, the miraculous, uh, the miraculous bread that fed Israel for 40 years in the desert. Eventually Aaron, uh, his, uh, his rod that budded, that demonstrated God's choice of him, uh, this also was placed inside of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Another uh, piece of furniture was the table of showbread. The remaining verses in chapter 25 describe two of the three items 
placed in the holy place. So there was the most holy place, only the ark was there. And then there was another room, an outer room called the holy place, all right? So one of the uh, items that was there was the table of showbread. Like the ark, this table was made so that it could be carried from place to place with the gold rings and the poles. It was approximately 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, 27 inches tall. And like the ark was made of acacia wood and covered with, uh, with gold. There are also vessels that are mentioned in verse 29, dishes, pans, jars, uh, bowls, all made of gold used in connection with the table. We also learn later in 2 Kings that these were carried off as spoils of war by Nebuchadnezzar when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem in 597 BC, some 800 years into the future. This table, table of showbread, was used to carry the bread of presence or the showbread, 12 loaves perpetually on the table. New bread replaced the old bread each Sabbath and only the priests were allowed to eat these uh, uh, loaves. The bread probably represented the 12 tribes and signified the people's constant presence before God and that even if there were 12 tribes, they were still one people who belonged to God. There was another piece of furniture, the golden lampstand that is described in uh, chapter uh, 25. This object was uh, also made of gold, hence the golden lampstand. It had a single shaft in the middle with six branches extending from it, each holding a single lamp, thereby forming a total of seven lamps. The Hebrew word for lampstand is menorah, and the menorah became a universal symbol for a Jewish religion. The lamp only provided light within the tabernacle. Symbolically, the seven lamps represented perfection, the oil, a picture of God's spirit, and the light, the truth that God's presence brings. The menorah certainly was identified with the Jewish people and the menorah's function as a light represented the light that God's people were to provide to a dark and unbelieving uh, world. A uh, famous depiction uh, of the menorah uh, is on the Arch of Titus or the Ark of Titus in the city of Rome. And uh, it's an image uh, carving, if you wish, of the menorah uh, taken from the temple in Jerusalem and carried off and displayed in a parade marking the Roman army's victory and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So you see where on the arch uh, the image is located and then in the uh, inset there you see you know, a, a group of people, marchers and carrying on their shoulders uh, the, uh, the menorah. There is also a third object located uh, here, and that's the altar of uh, incense. Uh, however, it is only described in chapter 30, but I wanted to just show you that 
which uh, furnishings were located where. So just the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, and then in the outer room, in the Holy Room, um, you, had, uh, uh, you had the uh, altar of incense, uh, you had the showbread, the table of showbread, and you had the, uh, the menorah. Of course, there were other uh, items described, uh, curtains and boards, sockets, veils, a screen, chapter uh, 26. This chapter shifts the focus from the furnishings of the tabernacle to the coverings and the framework and the veil one veil separated the most holy place from the holy place that was inside the tabernacle. And then the other veil covered the entrance to the holy place from the outside. The uh, tabernacle was designed to be assembled for usage and then disassembled and packed for transport and reassembled at another location. This is why it is largely made of panels and poles, hooks, loops, and various cloth and animal skin coverings and veils uh, for doors. In his description, Moses begins with the object at the very center of the tabernacle, which is the ark. And then he moves his way out from this piece of furniture to the furnishings and the space next to this central place. And then to the tent that holds all of these objects, followed by the exterior courtyard and the objects located there in the courtyard. And finally, concluding with the materials and the manner that the exterior walls that enclose the tabernacle area are set up and the materials that were used to create the enclosure of the tabernacle uh, complex. One thing to note is that the closer one is to the center where the ark is, the more precious the materials used. Gold, for example, everything is covered in gold. And the further away you get from the ark, then the less precious the materials to make these things. They use silver and bronze and so on and so forth. Basically, the tent portion of the tabernacle area is established by interlocking panels that were two feet by 20 feet that created the two sides and back of the enclosed area. Some uh, scholars believe that these panels were like trellis frames which would be lighter to carry and enabled the priests to be able to see the beautiful designs stitched into the coverings that were placed over the trellis-like flames. Once the three-sided frame was set up, it was covered uh, with two uh, coverings. There was uh, first a linen cloth of blue, purple, and scarlet, with the cherubim or angelic figures stitched into the fabric, which was 42 feet by six feet made into two large sheets held together by golden clasps. These would be placed over the trellised panels, which would cover the top and three sides, but not the front. Another veil was made for this. A second covering of goat's skin. Uh, goat's skin was good to guard against extreme weather. 
Uh, it was larger than the linen cloth uh, and it was held together with bronze clasps. Again, the further away you were from the ark, the less uh, valuable the materials uh, that, were, uh, that were used. And it was covered on all four sides. Uh, Moses describes other, uh, other types of coverings. Uh, ram skins that were dyed red were used for their good resistance to water and dew and rain. And then there were uh, porpoise skins. Uh, this is an uncertain translation, probably referring to the sea cow or the dugong, which were found in the uh, Red Sea. This uh, material was probably used to make uh, a tent uh, bags uh, or a wrapper in order to transport the curtains and the other objects necessary to set up the tent structure in the tabernacle complex from location to location. So you had all these various materials to cover over you know, the, the, the closed portion of the, of the tabernacle, the tent portion. And then you also had materials that were made into bags or carrying, uh, carrying uh, objects so that these other uh, cloths, uh, other uh, skins uh, could be folded and uh, carried from uh, uh, place to place. Then you had the veils for the inner curtain. Here's a, this image here, you see the, you know, the, uh, the menorah and the priest there, and you see the curtain, he's facing the curtain. And this rendition here, this image here, I believe is not really the, an image of the tent or the tabernacle, but actually what, it, what uh, inside the temple would look like. But it was the same, the same layout. The temple had the same layout uh, as, the, uh, as, the as the tabernacle. Anyways, this veil was used to divide the holy place where the ark was from the most holy place. Um, excuse me. Uh, it was to divide the most holy place where the ark was from the holy place where uh, you had uh, the other objects situated. It was uh, this, uh, this veil, this curtain was strung across the width of the tent and it was hung on four pillars of uh, acacia wood covered with gold. Like the first covering, it was made of similar linen and cloth, blue, purple, scarlet with images of angels that were uh, stitched into it. This veil would be lifted only once per year when the high priest would enter to offer sacrifice for himself and for the people and their sins. There was a second veil and it was used as the front door to the covered portion of the tabernacle and also as a, as a screen to prevent unauthorized people, in other words, people who were not priests or Levites, unauthorized people from seeing the objects and sites and rites being performed in the closed area. So this veil was made from the same cloth and design as the inner veil, and it hung from hooks attached to five pillars of acacia wood covered with gold. Then you had what we see in the foreground here, the bronze altar, chapter 27, so as you go outside from the tent enclosure, you find the bronze altar or the altar of burnt offering. Again, it was a hollow box 
made of acacia wood and covered with bronze. It measured seven and a half feet square and was four and a half feet high. Uh, there were horn-like figures on each corner shaped like cow or bull horns, which may have been used to secure animals in a certain position with, uh, with ropes. The priests also sprinkled blood on these horns uh, when they were making a sacrifice. The, these, uh, later, there uh, later arose a, a custom in Israel that a person could take refuge uh, by taking hold of the horns of this altar. And we read about that uh, one episode, 1 King chapter one, verses uh, four to nine, uh, verse 49 rather, uh, where someone takes hold of the horns of the, of, uh, of the, uh, of the altar uh, as a personal protection. There are also instructions uh, about producing uh, utensils that would be used in the sacrifice of animals by fire. Uh, things like pails and shovels, basins, forks, hooks, etc. This object also had loops and poles. The, uh, we're talking about the altar here of a burnt sacrifice. It had loops and poles so that it also could be carried from place to place. Instructions and details about the types of sacrifice, the manner, the time, the reasons to offer them, all of them are found in the book of Leviticus. A lot of instructions about uh, how to use this altar in that particular book. Then you have what's called the court of the tabernacle, you know, the exterior area surrounded by uh, you know, the walls. The uh, courtyard that uh, enclosed the uh, tabernacle was in a rectangular shape, 150 feet long by 75 feet wide. The fence, if you wish, that marked the courtyard was made of pillars set into sockets spaced seven and a half feet apart and connected with uh, linen cloth. The tent always faced east and the exterior entrance through the fence was 30 feet wide, was also located on the eastern side and hung on pillars as you see at the bottom of the, uh, the diagram there. Uh, there was also a bronze laver in the courtyard between the tent and the altar where the priests were to wash their hands and their feet uh, before offering a sacrifice on the altar or of course uh, entering the tent. Uh, and this was to be done under the pain of death. So it's very serious. The information about this uh, basin of water is only given much later in chapter 30. One other thing is the, uh, uh, the menorah, the oil for the lamp itself in Exodus 27. This oil was required to be available at all times since God required that the lampstand with seven lamps be kept burning day and night. And so only a certain kind of oil, a clear oil of beaten olives could sustain this requirement. From a practical perspective, this was necessary since the menorah was the only source of light inside the tent for both day and night. This instruction to keep the light burning continuously became extremely important to the Jews 
in that uh, God made this command that was to be kept throughout all of their uh, generations. All right, so, I mean, there's more information about the tabernacle, of course, uh, which I will complete next time. Uh, the priestly garments, the anointing oil, the incense, but before we finish, I'd like to point out a similarity between the tabernacle and its function for the Jews and a similar function that we have for Christians today. One of the basic functions of the tabernacle and its equipment and the priests who served there were to act as intermediaries between God and the people who wanted to give something to God in the form of sacrifice. They couldn't just go there themselves and you know, offer a, a bull or a sheep. They couldn't do that themselves. Uh, there were very particular ways that you, you, you needed to approach uh, God. Uh, and that's what the priests were for and that's how they were trained. Um, since people were unholy uh, and sinful, and because of this could not come before God themselves, they used the priests that God purified so that they could come before him on behalf of the people to offer thanksgiving or to ask for forgiveness or even to offer praise. But all of it was done through the sacrifices of various animals. Now, in the New Testament, those who believe in Jesus Christ are made clean they're purified, you know, like the priests were purified in the Old Testament. Today, believers are made clean and purified through Jesus Christ so they can now come before God in person, cleansed from their sins in order to praise God, give thanks, ask for things, uh, uh, to offer adoration. We read in 1 John 7 to 9, 1 John 1, 7 to 9. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In this passage, we, we read how God continues to cleanse us, Christians, believers, how he continues to cleanse us and to keep us pure so that we can go before him to offer uh, our prayers and our praise and also to go before him and offer um, our, our requests for forgiveness. Because now uh, we can offer our own sacrifices to God and not sacrifices of dead animals, but living sacrifices, such as the sacrifice of praise from our hearts and, uh, and our lips that the writer talks about in Hebrews 13, or a sacrifice of good works, Hebrews 13, 16, or a sacrifice of souls that we've evangelized, Romans 15, 13, or the sacrifice of ourselves each day as we live to obey and serve and glorify Christ consciously each day of our lives. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. So the priests were purified so that they could come before God. They could come before God because they brought before God 
the sacrifices, animal sacrifice and wine sacrifice and, and, and other objects um, to sacrifice before God on behalf of the people to say thank you or to ask for forgiveness. Today, uh, Christ has done that for us. Uh, his blood cleanses us from all sin and purifies us so that we can come before God and come before God, not to offer dead animals, not to offer flour or wine, but to offer, as I say, good works or souls evangelized or to offer praise or to offer ourselves uh, in our uh, daily service as acceptable uh, worship. Uh, God has taken away all of the uh, all of the ritual and all of the individuals that were between him and his people. And so the tabernacle and all of its objects and furnishings were designed and given by God to represent and teach us larger truths, deeper spiritual revelations that were only revealed and made knowable with the coming uh, of and the belief in Christ. And so, if, if, if you believe in Jesus and know his words, then you will be able to unlock all of the mysteries of the religion and the practices given to the Jews because they were ultimately given and practiced for our edification who believe in the Christ Jesus and obtain the purity that leads to eternal life through him. Their work helped us understand who we were and who we could become through Jesus Christ. Okay, well, we're gonna continue next time with more information about the priests and their works, plus where you can obtain bonus uh, information about this topic. We don't have time to go in and examine all the details about the tabernacle, how it was built and, 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 and the meaning of all the things that were, um, that were given to Moses and, and the people. But we do have a bonus material that you can have access to on your own that will uh, be able to explain all of this uh, to you. And I'll be sharing that with you next week. All right, well, thank you very much uh, for being in the class, for being online and watching uh, wherever you are at. We encourage you to be back uh, next time and we will uh, begin lesson 12 uh, in our 13 part series on the book of Exodus. All right, you take care. God bless you all. Bye-bye.